Exodus chapter 29, if you'd like to turn there. It's a big request to ask that lives could be changed through a book. But this is the book, is it not? I love the Word of God. It's a blessing that each of us are able to have personal copies of it. Um, if you're with us this morning, I want you to let, let, you, a little bit, let you know a little bit about our church. Um, this is not a perfect church. This is a church, though, that is welcoming of anybody. If you're prepared to admit that you're a sinner and that Jesus is your Savior, this is a church for you. Amen? That's the story behind each of us. Because of that, we love Him and we serve Him. We've got uh, a team of 13 or 14 that are going deep into the jungle right now to serve Him. And we're going to pray for them, lift them up in prayer over the next week. But you're in a jungle as well. And some of you said, Amen. <laughs> Different kind of jungle. And God is calling you to serve Him in whatever sphere He's given you. But keep in mind that basic story, your basic story, that you're a sinner and that Jesus is your Savior. Exodus 29. Uh, this, is, uh, this is week uh, three of our series on the Lamb. And we're looking in the Scriptures at the different references to uh, lambs that are mentioned. And today we're going to talk about the daily lamb, something we don't know a whole lot about, something I did not know a whole lot about until about six or seven months ago. And, uh, and I've been to seminary, and it just goes to show you that the Bible's very, very deep, y'all. I love that it's very shallow, that you can get the basic message, but there's, there's so much in God's Word. We can spend a lifetime digging the gold out of it, and I love that about the Word of God. I've got a friend who used to work for uh, the city sanitation department. I was thinking about jobs that some people would not want, and... Uh, and some people wouldn't want that job. For years, he worked removing people's trash every day, every week, same route, same houses, different trash. Uh, that's a job a lot of people don't think about these days. Uh, we kind of take it uh, for granted. But it's a job that really should be appreciated. You usually don't appreciate the trash truck until you forget to take the trash out one week. Amen? That's when you begin to appreciate the, the trash truck. Uh, but where I grew up, for the first part of my childhood, we didn't have any trucks coming by to pick up trash. We didn't have a sanitation department. I grew up in a very small town. And so for the first part of our childhood, uh, we had loaded up in a truck or a trailer. We had to take it to the city dump. And uh, ironically, those were neat times for me. I actually really liked going to the dump. just shows you kids can get interested in just about anything. But I loved it when we, uh, when we could go to the dump. But then I also loved when we finally got a, a trash truck to, to come and get our trash at some point. Um, and so now it's just routine, as it is for, for many or most of you. It's just routine to put your trash out on the side of the street and to have the, hit, the city come and help sanitize your life. They're the sanitation department. And each week on the same day, unless there's a holiday, my trash is taken away and my life's a little bit cleaner. I'm really glad that Jesus is in my life to deal with my garbage. Amen? 
the real garbage, the garbage of my heart and of my mind. You know, we do lots of routine things to sanitize our lives, actually. Uh, we take showers, or bathe daily, most of us. We, uh, we brush teeth. We, we put on deodorant, most of us. We wash our clothes. And these things don't just sanitize our lives. They help, uh, help keep us uh, in relationships. They, they help keep our relationships healthy. I, I imagine, if you will, it might be kind of rough on your relationship with the neighbors if you had a thousand bags of trash sitting in your front yard, would it not? It might be rough at work if you just decided to not shower for a year. That'd be really rough. You think you've got job problems. What if people just decided to quit showering or washing their clothes? You'd really have a, a tough time at the office. We do things regularly and we're accustomed to it. Have you ever thought, though, what if you could just brush your teeth once and for all and be done with it the rest of your life? Wouldn't that be an amazing miracle product? Magic toothpaste. Never brush your teeth again. Now, we're pretty accustomed to the routine of brushing our teeth, taking out the trash, because it's just part of life. And so I, I think back to my friend that worked with the sanitation department. I think about different jobs that we have in our society. What if you lived as a priest, though, in the nation of Israel, in the Old Testament, and your routine every day was to sacrifice animals for the nation and for individuals? Would you sign up for that job? Well, this morning, as we continue our, our five-week study on the lambs of Scripture, and we come to this, uh, the daily lambs, I'm going to explain what that means. I want you to know the daily routine for priests uh, was a lot different than what our daily routine is. In the passage, we're going to see that to begin temple worship each day of God, a lamb, a young sheep, had to be killed and burned on an altar before anything else. And to end temple worship for the day, another lamb had to be offered up. Now, there were lots of things that were uh, offered, that were sacrificed uh, for different reasons. There were bulls, there were rams, there were goats, there were doves, there were you know, flour, grain, salt. There were all these different things that God had, had a purpose for what he was, uh, in what he was doing with the offering. But the first sacrifice of the day had to be a lamb. And the last sacrifice of the day before the temple closed up shop had to be a lamb. So let's read together. Exodus 29, beginning in verse 38. Moses writes the words of God. Now this is what you, you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year, uh, two lambs a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb a tenth uh, say of fine flour mingled with a fourth of hen of beaten oil and a fourth of hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel. It shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord 
their God. We don't have a ton more in Scripture on this sacrifice, but to kind of, for those of you that aren't aware, God basically chooses one man, Abraham, out of all the, the pagans of the world. He chooses one man. Um, he had tried a number of things with humanity. He had had long, uh, patience for a long time. And then during the time of Noah, he said, no, I'm going to start over with, with Noah and his family. And that didn't do the trick either. And it's not that it surprised God. But as people began to repopulate the earth, the same things began to happen. We have the Tower of Babel. We have people rebelling against God. And God has mercy on them, confuses their languages, sends them out into all uh, the, the, the world. And at some point, he says, I'm going to try something different. I'm going, to, I'm going to choose a person, and then I'm going to make out of that person, I'm going to make a people for myself. And he chooses Abraham. And through Abraham, he makes a promise. And he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you land. And I'm going to, through you, bless all the families, all the nations of the earth. And so God is doing something different. And then God, as he begins to grow this nation, he shows them one step after another. He progressively reveals his plan to them, reveals how he is going to get them out of their sin problem. And, it, and, it's some, and at one point, he begins to, to show them, he, he gives them instructions on how to make a place where he could meet with them. And that place was called the tabernacle. It was a, a big tent. And then one day, as they finally came out of the wilderness uh, wandering, they, they would make this place permanent, and they would call it the temple. And here in the temple, God would meet with his people. And so the time period that we're looking at, God instructs Moses as as he's instructing them and he's teaching them about how to interact with them. Um, he's teaching them how, how they could approach him. He gives them this command, this order about these daily lambs. Now these lambs had to be one year old. They had to be without blemish or defect. They had to have no deformities or diseases or anything. There's a parallel account in Numbers 28 that you can uh, look to for that. They had to be burned up completely, completely on the altar. There was an altar... Um, that they would sacrifice everything on. Some sacrifices the priest or the offerer uh, could eat or have parts of it to eat, not these. These had to be completely burned. Other materials were offered with them on the altar, which was common. God said that the sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to him. Of course, this is an illustration God is using. In Psalms, God says, Do I drink the blood of goats? Do I eat your offerings? The answer is no. God is saying it's a pleasing aroma, not just because he likes the smell of barbecued lamb, but because of what it means, what it's pointing to, which he's going to reveal more and more throughout history, throughout the history of this nation. And the number of lambs here are not including the lambs offered for personal sins. So an individual could have a reason for bringing a lamb to the temple and have the priest uh, sacrifice that lamb for him, or actually the offerer would, would, would kill the lamb and then the priest would, would sacrifice it. But these are sacrifices for the nation as a whole. The entire nation. According to the Jewish calendar, then, 708 lambs would be sacrificed for the nation, around about that number, as a part of this daily sacrifice. And when you factor in Passovers, Sabbaths, New Moons, the Feast of Pentecost, Trumpets, Tabernacles, and the Yearly Day of Atonement, which you don't have to know what all of those things mean, 
right now. It comes to more than a thousand lambs continually offered for the nation in a calendar year. That's a lot of lambs. These Old Testament sacrifices, when we start reading this stuff, man, it just really seems so foreign to us as Christians living in 2018. How can this be the same God that we know? Well, it's the exact same God. We just have the benefit of being on this side of the cross. The cross makes sense of all of the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. The entire Bible is about Jesus. It is God glorifying Himself through the exaltation of His Son. He was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, and He was foretold over and over and over again. He's told in all of these sacrifices, everything about these sacrifices, everything about the tabernacle points to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing plan. And when we begin to see the beauty of how God designed this, it is truly amazing. And so we're on this side of God's unfolding plan. So if you're new to the the series, let me catch you up on on a couple of things. First, as I mentioned before, we have a problem of sin. For salvation to occur, someone has to die. That's a basic Christian principle. For salvation to occur... Someone has to die. The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment of God. The Bible says that each of us have broken God's laws willingly, and because of that, we have earned death and judgment for ourselves. That's the bad news. But not only do we see a problem of sin, we see a picture of our Savior in the lambs and in everything we've talked about. We see God covering Adam and Eve after their fall. He covered them with skins of an animal. God killed the first animal, and He took those skins and He covered Adam and Eve, and He said, though you have sinned and you have earned death, I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to sacrifice the life of another, and I'm going to cover you so that you will not have to die, but you can have life because I'm a merciful God and not just a just God, though He is that. And He made this promise to Abraham. And he made this promise to King David. A continuation of the promise he made to Abraham. He said, David, there's going to be a king who is going to come from your line and that king's going to be a forever king. That king's going to be an eternal king and his rule will never end. And that's talking about Jesus. We see Jesus uh, in the lambs that we've mentioned in previous weeks. We see him in Abraham's lamb. Adam preached on this week one. We talked about Abraham's land that this the lamb was introduced that when Abraham went up on the the mountain to sacrifice Isaac Isaac asked him father where is the lamb for the sacrifice and Abraham tells him that God will provide the lamb now God eventually provided a ram so where's the lamb well it's pointing to the future that one day there would be a lamb and so we have the idea there of a substitute Instead of Isaac dying, the ram died. And instead of you and I dying, we have a substitute, Jesus, who will die for us. And so there's a substitute lamb. We also looked at the Passover lamb. The Passover happened in Egypt when the uh, Israelites were in slavery. And that final plague came, the death of the firstborn. And God said, if you will kill a lamb... And you will take its blood and you will do the things that I tell you to do. But one of those things is going to be you're going to put the blood of that lamb 
on the doorpost, I will pass over your house and you will be spared death and judgment. And so we have a sparing lamb. We had a substitute lamb and now we have a, a sparing lamb. A lamb that's going to spare the people as God passes over. And now we come to, we have a continual lamb. We have a, a daily lamb. We, had, we have seasonal lambs. We have nonstop lamb sacrifice. What can we call this? Notice that God allowed God, the sacrifice that God allowed to make relationship with Him possible. God allows this to happen. Let me read, uh, let me read this again for you in case you missed it. Here's what God said. This will be a regular burnt offering through your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you to speak with you. I will also meet with the Israelites there and that place will be consecrated by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God and they will know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh, their God. So we see God taking the initiative. We see God doing this, making this relationship possible. I want to call this a sustaining lamb, and I want to explain why. This lamb, this sacrifice of this lamb, made the relationship with God possible. It sustained a relationship with God, but it had to be every single day. And God said, if you'll do this every single day, I'll make my presence with you. And so this was a sustaining lamb. And so let me make a few observations about, about these lambs. Number one, the cost of sin. The large number of lambs sacrificed showed the nation of Israel, and it shows us the awful, horrific nature, the death and the destruction of sin. How can you get past the amount of animals that are killed because of sin? What an image, what a picture of the death that sin brings. Thousands upon thousands over history, millions of animals sacrificed because of sin. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all men because all sinned. The reason we have death in the world today, my friends, is because of sin. It's not because of oppressive governments. It's not because of cancer. Whatever else you can think of. Those are fruits. Those are results. The root is sin. Death is here because of sin. The reason our loved ones pass away is because of sin. The sufferings of wars deadly disease, old age, it's all because of sin. And the continual death of these sacrifices were a picture of that. Every day, they're a picture of death. Every day, they're a picture of death. And they're a picture of God's great judgment upon sin. How He requires life. How somebody's got to die in order for there to be salvation. In order for there to be relationship with Him. So the cost of sin. Next, the removal of sin. The nonstop sacrifice of the lambs and other animals shows us that the animal sacrifice never truly took away sin anyway. Could never take away sin. Hebrews 10, 1-4 Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, 
and not the actual form of those realities, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered, since the worshipers, once purified, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Just like that garbage truck that has to come by your street and your house every single week, you're never finally getting rid of your trash. They're going to come back over and over and over again. It's never going to be removed. And the blood of bulls and goats never removes sin. There is only one thing that removes sin, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ. Only one thing is our hope. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Perfect lamb. Perfect blood. Perfect sacrifice. Perfect person given for us. The cost of sin. The removal of sin. What else do we see in these daily sacrifices? We see the provision of God. The amount of lambs shows God's faithfulness to Abraham and the nation of Israel. God is keeping His promise to them. He said, hey, I'm going to bless you. Think about this for a minute. That's an expensive form of worship. What if every time you had to come to church, you had to bring a cow? Right? Especially if you're in an, in a, an agrarian culture, you're in a culture where there's a lot of poor people. This was an expensive form of worship to sacrifice these lambs. These were valuable commodities. And even in that, God is teaching them something. Release wealth, trust in me. Release wealth, trust in me. And God answers his promise to Abraham. He told Abraham he was going to bless him and take care of him. And here, he does that. Let it be a lesson to us that though we may never be rich, God will always provide for our needs and He will always provide what we need to live for Him. Amen? He will always provide what we need. I think so much of our anxiety in life, my anxiety, your anxiety, is because we really don't believe this as we should. If we had trust in God on a daily basis, would we see near the anxiety and worry and fret that we see today? Don't the Scriptures say, cast your cares upon Him, for He cares for you? That's what we should do. And so God is providing for them here. Not only the provision of God, but we see the presence of God. The involvement of God. In the continual sacrifice shows us that he wanted to make his holy presence with this nation, with these people, even though they were sinners who could have no part with him. They were undeserving, they were unworthy, they were reprobate, is the word. They were, in and of themselves, they were not people who, who should be around God. And yet God says, I want to make my presence with them. This wasn't their idea. This was an act of His mercy and love. It's not a small thing to have a relationship with the Holy God. It's, in fact, impossible for us. But God made a way. And these sacrifices did not pay Him anything to make that possible. 
understand this was an act of his education and an act of his patience toward them. Listen to this sentence. They did not remove sin. The sacrifices did not remove sin. They were a way to connect the people in faith to God as they awaited his coming salvation. I want to say that again. Please pay attention to this. The sacrifices did not remove sin, nor will your sacrifices that you give remove sin. They were a way to connect the people in faith and trust to God as they awaited his coming salvation. Not only the presence of God and the provision of God, but you have a picture of the Savior. This entire sacrificial process was an act of God's grace to point us to Jesus and to provide Jesus for us. Hebrews chapter 9, Now the Messiah has appeared, high priest of the good things that have come, in the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. This is not of this creation. He entered the Holy of Holies once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Galatians chapter 3 sums it up. It says, The law then was our guardian or tutor to lead us to Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. What is that saying? It's saying that religion and rules is not how we get to God. Jesus is how we get to God. And we don't go get Jesus. Jesus comes and gets us. That's an important point to make. Rules. The law of God. The moral law. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. All of that, which we've broken those rules. And even the, the laws of worship. Sacrifice a lamb here. Sacrifice a bull here. Rest on this day. Do this. Do that. The moral. The religious. All of that. None of that gets us access to God. It is meant to show us how we have failed at keeping God's rules and how we in desperation need to turn not to the rules and to our own keeping of the rules, but to the God that gave the rules. Please save us. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. The law is a tutor to lead us to Jesus. This is all about God educating us on how we need Him and how we can know Him. My friends, God's made you a promise. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And the reason that that is true is because Jesus, the Lamb of God, laid down His life so that you could have life and know Him and His Father forever. We don't have to go sacrifice a lamb. We don't have to have continual daily sacrifices to sustain our relationship with God. We've got Jesus. And if we have Jesus, then we are part of God's family. In Jesus, our Savior, we see a substitute who dies for us, a sacrifice that spares us from God's condemnation, and a Son who sustains us forever in a wonderful relationship with our Creator. A relationship that you can have when you reject your sinful ways and believe in the Savior's salvation and His life for you. Would you come and follow Him today? Now is the time. Talk with Him. Pray to Him. Ask Him to forgive you and to be your Lord and Savior. I'll be down front if you need to talk as our musicians come.
We're going to sing a song this morning about coming to the altar. And I want to make a few points on this. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. This, if everybody could take a look, this right here, this is a stage. These are steps. Um, technically. Christians have referred to this as an altar in the past because we encourage one another to come publicly before the body and repent of sin or to offer thanks to the Lord or, or to pray or to worship. And so we encourage a public uh, profession of those things at times. And that's, that's all well and good. And sometimes there's a great need for that. But this morning as we sing about coming to the altar... We aren't talking about this place. God may lead you to come to this place, but as you sing, coming to the altar, this isn't the altar we're talking about. That's clarification number one. Here's number two, and this is the most important. What I want you to hear and to know this morning as we've talked about these lambs, and as you think about your own life, as you sing and as we sing, coming to the altar, regardless of how you respond physically, the point that I want you to see is that the altar is full. There is nothing more that you can put on the altar. Jesus has already filled it. Amen? We leave church sometimes feeling like there's a deficit that we have to make up. Jesus bled and died and was the perfect Lamb of God to fill that altar. We don't come to the altar to give. We come to the altar to receive from our good and loving God. That's what this song is about. That's what this book is about. And that's what Jesus is about. And so would you come to that altar today in your heart and your mind as you sing, would you receive the love and the forgiveness, and the grace, and the wonder of God. Let's stand together.